Welcome to Mariners Church Weekend Podcast. Over the next few weeks, the team here at Mariners is prayerfully planning for our next season of ministry as we close out our fiscal year. I want to invite you to be a part of the vision God has given Mariners to inspire people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. When we give financially, we show our trust in God to provide for our needs and multiply our gifts for ultimate kingdom impact. Your generosity equips us to reach our world with the hope of the gospel and offer incredible opportunities for people of all ages and backgrounds to encounter Jesus. As a direct result of your sacrificial giving, we're able to feed the hungry, care for the vulnerable, support families, and extend God's love to our community. If you'd like to partner with us in the great work God is doing through our church, you can click the link in the bio or text MYMARINERS to 77977. So there's a true story, a funny story, of a man who had attended a church service. And during the service, the church had invited him, along with everyone else, to participate in in communion. Or, you know, depending on the tradition that you grew up, if you grew up in church, the Lord's Supper, the the Lord's Table, or the Eucharist. It's where we take the bread and uh, the juice or the wine, again, depending on your church tradition. And so he had been familiar with communion, but this church, instead of passing out the elements, they were invited to come up to, to stations to line up and to take communion. And so this man came, walked up to a station. He was all by himself. There was no line. But when he came up to the station, he noticed that there was just a big cup uh, in the middle of the station. It was like this big cup of juice, like a big goblet of juice. And this put him in a dilemma because, well, he considered himself to be a germaphobe. So here's the dilemma he found himself in. The dilemma is, well, do I take communion because, you know, I'm I'm a believer and I love Jesus and he's my savior and I want to do this in remembrance of him, but then I have to drink from this cup that others have drunk out of, which has created this nice little cocktail of saliva, or do I not participate in communion because it's disgusting here, uh, this cup, but... And so doing, I have to drink of this, but I get to celebrate my Lord. And so he stood there asking that the Lord remove this cup from him, but he started to feel guilty. And so so feeling guilty, he got up and he took this cup and he brought it up to his lips and he took a big gulp of it. I mean, could you imagine? And he set the cup down. Well, the story goes that he then turned around and he saw another station with a line of people. And when he looked, These people were taking wafers and dipping it into the cup and eating it. Oh my gosh, so embarrassing. So the moral of the story is if you're ever in a line by yourself, find a different line. You know, this is a funny story, but if you grew up in the church, you might have your own funny or humorous humorous story about communion, right? I mean, for one, when you receive the elements, it's like, what is this? Is, Is this Minute Maid? Is this like a McDonald's French fry from 1995? And there's a timing thing that I can never get right. It's like, wait, do I, is, is it, did I miss it? Right, because if you go too late, it feels silly. Like you feel like you're not paying attention. If you go too early, I mean, it just feels like you're being irreverent. And either ways, you miss the timing both ways. And this is, if you grew up in the church, if you didn't grow up in the church, if you're exploring the Christian faith, communion can kind of sound out there, right? So you're like, wait, let me get this straight. So, Jesus commanded us to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Oh, I see. So when Jesus talks about being the lamb, we're talking about 
the silence of the lambs, right? Like Hannibal Lecter, that's what we're doing here. And by the way, how come non-Christians can't take communion again? I'm just confused. Is this why in Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper, all the disciples look totally confused and perplexed because they don't know what's happening with communion? So whether you grew up in the church taking communion or you're currently exploring the Christian faith, if we're honest, communion can be a little bit unclear. But we've been in a series exploring the red letters and invitations of Jesus. And what's beautiful is, as Jesus invites us to take and eat and to participate uh, for his people in communion, we're gonna see that God's people, we don't have to just take communion, we get to take communion. It's a beautiful thing. And I think we can know this because the original recipients of the first time communion was instituted by Jesus, it would not have been unclear for them. In fact, the disciples, when they first were given the command to take communion together, it would have been clear, it would have been profound, it would have been packed with amazing significance. We know this because of the surrounding context and the setting in which uh, we find our passage today. Matthew 26, 20 reads and begins in this way. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. You know, in this verse, when we read the word uh, evening, this evening is significant for two reasons. One, it was the night when Jesus would first institute communion, but this evening was also the celebration of the Jewish Passover. See, if you were a disciple with Jesus in that evening, you, as a Jew, you were well acquainted with the Passover feast. It was the most significant festival and celebration in your people's history because it pointed back to the key foundational event of your ancestors, namely their rescue, their deliverance, their freedom from Egyptian captivity and slavery. See, when you go back to the history of the Jewish people, the Israelites, they were enslaved for 430 years. But God sent Moses to deliver them. And on the evening of Passover or the evening of when they would be freed, God said that he was going to send an angel of death uh, to judge both the Israelites and the Egyptians, and he would judge them by taking their firstborn. But here's what God did. He commanded the people, the Israelites, to sacrifice a lamb, to take the blood, uh, you know, uh, sprinkle it on the doorposts, and the angel of death would pass over, hence Passover, any home uh, which had, you know, the markings of the blood, but any home that did not have the marking of the sacrificial lamb, their firstborn would be judged by death. Well, that evening, all of Israel was protected from the angel of death, but there was great wailing and weeping and judgment in Egypt. On that night, God instructed the people to have a meal, a special meal, a Passover meal. And he ordained that God's people, the Israelites, would celebrate this meal every single year, the Passover meal. In fact, Jews to this day celebrate this meal. And this is the meal that Jesus is having with his disciples on this very night when he would institute communion. So think for a moment how significant and impactful it would have been when in the very midst of this meal, Jesus does this very thing. Here's what he says. As they were eating, Jesus, he, he took bread. He blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. Then, then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus here, he's doing something significant. He is connecting the most significant historical moment in the history of the Israelites. He's connecting the significant rescue and salvation and deliverance that he performed historically back then to what he would now do on the cross. I mean, this this was packed with meaning. In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, in the original Passover, the firstborn, they were judged for your freedom. He's saying, I, I'm the true firstborn. I'm the preeminent one who's gonna take and receive the judgment of God on your behalf. He's saying in the original Passover, lambs, they were sacrificed and slaughtered and their bloods were splattered on wood. I'm the lamb. I'm the true lamb of God and my blood is gonna be splattered on a cross as well. He's saying, hey, the original Passover, it was a physical rescue. But what I'm doing here, this is a a spiritual Passover. This is not just a physical rescue. This is a physical rescue and more. It's a spiritual rescue, a greater rescue because a greater lamb, a greater deliverance is here. A greater Passover is about to happen. This would have been packed with so much meaning and significance for the disciples. See, this is what we, many, many years later, 2,000 years later, this is what we call the gospel. See, the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel, the good news says that you and I, we were created, we were created by God to have relationship with him and flourish in relationship with him. But we turned away. We said no. And in turning away, sin broke into this world and into our hearts, and we were separated from God. But the good news says that rather than leaving us on our own, God sent his son, Jesus, he lived the perfect life, the righteous life that you and I could not live. He died the death that you and I were supposed to die because of our sins, the death that we were already dying because of our sins. And instead he took the punishment on our behalf. He rose again, he conquered the grave. And in so doing, we get to experience the true Passover. We pass over from death to life. God's punishment is placed on Jesus and we are given his righteousness and we have, we now have right standing with God. We have a true relationship with God. See, the gospel says you don't achieve this. You don't achieve this by, by doing a lot of good works and therefore he forgives you. No, no, no. Instead, the gospel says it's a free gift that you receive by faith, by trusting him, by acknowledging I can't do it on my own. It's a free gift from him. That's the gospel. And communion, communion is designed to point us, to help us to see more clearly the gospel. In other words, it's almost like glasses. That's what uh, Charles Spurgeon, the British preacher, that's how he illustrates communion. He said this, what do you use they or glasses? What do you use, what do they use uh, them for? To look at? No, to look through glasses. So use the bread and wine as a pair of glasses. Look through them and do not be satisfied until you say, yes, yes, I can see the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So communion is not how we achieve our salvation. Communion is how we see through to see the salvation that has already been achieved for us. See, this is what I love. Our God, he has given us two sacraments and ordinances to point us back to the gospel. Baptism is almost like the wedding ceremony when we first believe and trust in him. But then communion then is uh, the anniversary celebration that we do 
regularly to remember and point us to the gospel. That's the beauty and hope of communion. Now, you might be listening and saying, hey, dude, our, amen, I agree. But here's my fear. Uh, this all sounds a little bit ritualistic to me. And I'm more of like a relationship with God kind of person. And so, yeah, it's a legitimate concern that maybe we're erring too much on the side of ritualism to the neglect of relationship with God. But I wonder if this is a false dichotomy. Because if you think about it, don't, aren't rituals born out of true relationships? I mean, the most authentic, loving, meaningful relationships actually end up implementing rituals, don't they? I mean, we see this every day. This isn't this why we celebrate the birthdays. We celebrate the birthdays of those that we love. This is why we have all kinds of anniversaries, even work anniversaries. Like I have never said to my wife on the day of our anniversary, hey babe, I got some good news. We're gonna save money. Check this out. So I no dinner reservation tonight. Uh, I, we're just gonna put some popcorn in, TV dinner. It's gonna be amazing because we have a relationship. It's organic. We don't, we don't need rituals. Every day is our anniversary. I would never say that because I like sleeping on my own bed, first of all. Secondly, because we don't see our anniversary celebration as an obstacle to our relationship. No, we see our anniversary celebration as, as an expression of, as an express, it flows out of a relationship of trust, celebration, honor, love, and joy. And so rituals flow out of relationships, but there's more. Rituals can actually serve to strengthen relationships. You know, there's been research coming out about how children are strengthened. They benefit from the family dinner, that even just family dinner a couple nights a week, the ritual of the family gathering tonight just for a few, uh, just for a few nights, it strengthens the family dynamic. Even Thanksgiving dinner. Isn't it interesting how we gather just once a year with people we don't see very often. Some of us were very thankful for that. But yet, even that Thanksgiving dinner, we walk away with a strange sense of closeness, appreciation, family. We walk away having strengthened our love and appreciation for others. And this is why communion is a, is a gift. Communion, it is an expression of the relationship with God that already exists, but it also serves to strengthen our relationship with Jesus. There are three ways communion strengthens our relationship with Jesus. Number one, communion, it anchors our relationship in history. It anchors our relationship in history. In other words, when we take communion, we are brought into greater assurance. There's greater confidence that we know him, that we can trust him, and that he has saved us because our faith is rooted in historical events that have actually occurred. You know, maybe there's a time in your life or maybe even now where you're wondering, God, I have messed up so badly. God, I've just messed up. Do you really love me? I mean, could you really love someone like me? Was the cross, was that wonderful cross, this gospel, is that really for someone like me? Maybe you even thought, or maybe you're thinking now, is this Christian faith even real? I mean, how do I know this? How do I know that I'm not just following along with the religious crowd because it seems like it's the popular thing to do? Well, here's what's beautiful about communion. When you and I take communion, 
And when we take hold of these, uh, these elements, we are invited in to not just some sort of practice in the moment, but we are ushered in to an incredible faith heritage rooted in historical events. See, when you and I take and we hold of these elements, we are pointed back to roughly 2,000 years ago where there was a real historical Jesus of Nazareth who lived and walked on this earth. And he died on a real wooden cross and he was buried into a real tomb. And three days later, he rose again to the extent that the very disciples who were afraid of people, who denied him, who betrayed him, who walked away from him three days earlier, they could not speaking, stop speaking about him to the extent that a small, marginalized faith community, their gospel spread like wildfire in the midst of the Roman Empire despite great persecution. See, when you and I, when we take hold of the communion elements, we're invited back even further, 1,500 years before Jesus, where they're a nation, the nation of Israel, they were freed from their captivity from Egypt to the point that today in this moment, oral tradition, written tradition has passed down to this day that speaks of what happened in Egypt back then. And so as we see, as we walk, as we're swept into this history of what God has done, the outworking of his salvation, it gives us assurance and confidence in what you and I believe. This is what exactly the effect that the theologian J.I. Packer said communion should have on us. Here's what he said. We should be saying in our hearts, as surely as I see and touch and taste this bread and this wine, so sure it is that Jesus Christ, he is not a fancy, but a fact, that he is for real and that he offers himself to be my savior, my bread of life and my guide to glory. He has left me this right this gesture, this token, this ritual action as a guarantee of this grace. He instituted it and it is a sign of life-giving union with him. And I'm uh, taking part in it. And thus I know that I am his and he is mine forever. Now listen to this. That is the assurance that we should be drawing from our sharing in the Lord's Supper every time we come to the table. Those are such powerful words, which means that when you and I come and to the elements and we take communion, we are invited to bring our truest feelings. But you and I, we have more than feelings. Oh, we can bring our doubts, but in those moments, we have more than just our doubts. We are invited into a beautiful faith legacy that God has been working out for the past 3,500 years in which right now there is, according to the book of Hebrews, a cloud of witnesses, believers who are in the presence of God who would say to us in this moment, hey, I was there 3,500 years ago when Israel was freed. I can't believe that you get to enjoy the truest meaning of that. That's beautiful. There's someone right now who 2,000 years ago, cloud of witnesses, they're saying to you and me, I was there. I saw Jesus be crucified. I saw him rise again. I can't believe that you get to enjoy the truest meaning and significance of that. What a hope it is to us. And so you and I, we're free that when we come before our God, we don't have to muster up the right amount of emotions. We don't have to muster up faith and try to engineer faith for ourselves. And so we can just come before him as we come to take communion and say, Lord, I invite you in this moment. And he invites us in to behold, to rest, to experience him, to enjoy his grace. And he invites us and says, I want you to feel your weight around the faith. 
See how secure and solid my salvation is. So communion, it anchors our relationship in history. Secondly, communion strengthens us by guiding our relationship. It guides our relationship to sincerity. In other words, communion invites us to not fake the Christian walk, to not put on, uh, to not pretend, to not act like, you know, we're someone that we're not. Instead, we are invited to honesty, to authenticity, to truly walk with him. We know this because it is on that night of Passover when Jesus instituted communion, that's the night that he would, Jesus would confront Judas. Judas, uh, Jesus, he knew the truth about Judas all along, but it's significant that he waited until communion to actually confront Judas. Their exchange, it went like this in verse 21. While they were eating, again, this Passover meal, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to Jesus, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer replied, and listen to this, surely not I, Rabbi, you have said it, he told him. Now, at first, it might be really hard to miss. It's very easy to miss, but Judas shows and reveals his cards, doesn't he? It's a very subtle way in which he reveals his cards, but he certainly revealed his, his cards. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, here's how all the disciples minus Judas responded. Surely not I, Lord. See, that word Lord in the original Greek is the word kurios. It means Lord, it means master. It means the one whom I submit to and follow. Judas does not call and refer to Jesus by that term. He says, surely not I, rabbi, which means teacher. Now there's a world of a difference between Lord and teacher. It's huge, it's totally different. See, for me, when I come before my Lord and master, I expect transformation. But when I come before just a teacher, I want information. When I come before a Lord or a master, I want to submit every corner of my life to a Lord, but to a teacher. I mean, I rather kind of pick and choose what I want to reveal and just, it just, that's my teacher. When it comes to a Lord, I want to revolve my life around my Lord and have my Lord take the lead of my life. But when it comes to the teacher, I want the teacher to revolve around my life. See, there's a big difference between just Lord and mere rabbi. But this was the struggle for Judas. See, often we think that Judas, his greatest struggle was money, but actually he didn't sell out Jesus for that much money. Judas's great temptation, which I believe is the temptation for all of us is, it's that we have a different vision for how we think Jesus should operate and function in our lives. In other words, we want Jesus to revolve around our life as a really resourceful teacher rather than us revolve around his life as Lord. Isn't this all of our struggles? I mean, how easy is it to look to the future and not trust Jesus as Lord, but rather we want to instruct him as our teacher? How easy is it to do the right things externally, but with a motivation of selfish gain in our hearts? Judas's struggle is common to all of us. This is why when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, 
The disciples did not all go, oh, Judas, duh. I mean, we saw it all along. They are all stunned and amazed. They wonder, is it me? Judas fit in so well. This is because this is all of our struggles. And so we're invited to take communion with sobriety, with sober-mindedness, with humility. This is why Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, 20, he said this, let a person examine himself in this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. In fact, Paul, he goes on to say to not take communion in an unworthy manner. The Corinthian church, they were really great at revolving God and Jesus and the things of God around their life. And so he was reminding them, hey, when we come before him, let's come before him with humility and honesty. Because it makes sense that if he's our savior, if he loves us so much, we will be compelled to come before him and say, Lord, please, I want to sur surrender and submit every part of my life to you. By the way, this reverence, it makes sense to us even on an emotional, experiential le level, doesn't it? Like we wouldn't like it if someone came to our birthday party for us and made it about them. We wouldn't like it if someone came to our anniversary dinner and crashed and made it about them. And so the logic of Jesus, the logic of God for communion, it makes sense for us. Which, by the way, you know, if you're listening and maybe you don't identify yourself as a Christian and, you, and you've always wondered, hey, how come at churches they say, if you're not a believer, we want to ask you to just observe and talk to us about Jesus, don't take communion? How come? It is not because we Christians think we are better than non-Christians. Not, absolutely not. In fact, the gospel says none of us are deserving. It's just odd when someone who doesn't have a relationship with another person keeps trying to have an anniversary dinner, right? If someone that you didn't know kept asking you, hey, did you get the reservation confirmation? It would just be weird. But for anyone who comes to Jesus and says, I trust you, I surrender my life to you, Jesus invites that person. So we are all invited, we're guided by communion to walk with Jesus in sincerity. Thirdly, communion points to our relationship for eternity. In other words, as we take communion, we are reminded of, it points us to another day, a glorious day that is coming in which we will be with Jesus forever. Every year, my wife and I, for our anniversary, we go out for an anniversary dinner. What's interesting is whenever we're eating and hanging out, we always talk about, hey, here's what we really enjoyed. What are things we need to work on? But always at some point, in the dinner, I will start talking about the future. I will point to a glorious future day. I'll say things like, babe, I mean, could you imagine if God allowed us to be married for 60 years, 60 years of marriage. Imagine if we came back to this restaurant when we were 83 years old, how glorious would that be? And she gives me this loving look that says, baby, I love you. Six years is a long time. But it's funny, even during dinner, as we're celebrating in the present, looking at the past, we still look to the future. In the same way, communion is this beautiful practice of the church in which we remember what Jesus has done in the past. And yet at the same time, it points us to a glorious future when we will be with him. Jesus said this on the very night of, his, of Passover. He says this in verse 29. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, there will come a day when you and I, we will be with God. And when we dine, and when we have this last, this supper, when we have this uh, Lord's table experience with him in heaven, we will not come to this table with doubts. 
We will not come to this table with insecurities about how God feels about us. We will not come to this uh, table with shame and regret. We will come to this table with the people of God and we will come to this table with Jesus face to face and we will enjoy him and his glorious presence forever and ever and ever. So when you and I, when we take communion, we are guaranteed of this promise that it's to come a glorious future that we'll experience together. But here's what's beautiful. In the here and now, we're given not just an individualistic invitation to come take communion, but here's what's beautiful. When we take communion today, as we await that future day, we get to come before the communion station, not alone, where there's no line, no, but we get to come as the church of God to a long line. See, when you and I take communion today, there is a long line of Christians and fellow believers who came before us and they practice communion just like we are today. And long after we're gone, a new generation will rise up and they will take communion. They will stand in the same line of faith and they will declare and proclaim the same gospel of Jesus. And another generation will rise up after them again and another generation after them until one day, all of us, the people of God in a glorious future, we will sit with God and enjoy him and his presence forever. And until then, as the church, we get to participate and enjoy communion together. We're gonna do that today. Wherever you're watching, whatever elements you may be using, we get to participate and remember his grace for us. As we read that on the night of his betrayal, Jesus, he, he took bread, he broke it, and it was to remember what he would do for them on that cross. See, we don't achieve salvation. There is not one work that you and I can do right now that achieves right standing with God. Only he does that. And he gave his body, he gave his life for us. So let's take, let's eat. Then he passed the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for the sins of many. What's beautiful about those words is we can't do anything to cover up the sins of our past. We can't do it. And our good works of the future don't go back in time to cover up those sins. What's amazing is uh, Jesus' work on the cross, it covers all of our sins, our past, our present, our future, And so as we drink, we can drink the sweetness and enjoy his grace today. Take, drink. Mariners, we have an incredible redeemer. Wherever you are, let's stand. If you're able to, you can sit. Let's celebrate our redeemer. He has saved us. He loves us. He has brought us to himself. Let's rejoice. Extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them 
I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can head to the website by clicking the link in our show notes or text MYMARINERS to 77977. If you'd like more biblical encouragement from Mariner's Church throughout the week, we also have the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Every episode is a 7-10 to minute reflection from our 2021 annual read, A Mariner's Tradition and it's based in the book of Proverbs. We're reading Timothy and Kathy Keller's devotional, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And why are we doing this? Well, God wants us to benefit from his wisdom and avoid foolish thinking and living. Instead of binging on social media or your favorite streaming service, imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that God will use to change your life. Hey, let's get wise together. Join us and head over right now and download the Gospel Everyday Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Have a great week and may you live by God's grace every day.